0: Wellness Force Radio. Feelings are essential, but they can't dictate our actions. We literally infect each other with our emotions. We came here for a special purpose.
1: Let the purpose unveil itself. Knowing without doing the same thing as not knowing. They're not just trackers. I'm going to wear this and it's going to help me do the right thing.
0: Wellness Force Radio, episode 125, with Dr. Kirk Parsley.
1: Social programming has convinced us that sleep is a form of weakness it's a form of laziness it's it's a luxury chronic sleep deprivation takes about 16 years off your life i mean there's very few things that take 16 years off your life increases your risk for every disease every kind of problem to me i think more importantly is what we talked about earlier is like it numbs you to your environment it decreases the whole purpose of being here like to me this is all about squeezing as much joy out of life as i can possibly get performance is seriously degraded
0: if you're physiologically broken and the fastest way to physiologically break yourself is sleep deprivation. What's up my friend? It's your host Josh Trent and welcome back to another episode for your weekly access to global experts in all things wellness as we discover the physical and emotional intelligence we need to live life well. So it has been said that we always teach the lessons we most need to learn. And you're probably noticing that I sound like a white version of Barry White right now. My voice is a little bit deeper than normal. It's because I am recording this intro after a lack of sleep. The past week I've been traveling around life, I'm sure you can relate, and my sleep habits fell to the wayside. And it's perfect timing this week to talk about sleep. Not just the power of it, but pragmatically and practically How do we actually do it? How do we do it in this busy world? How do we use our sleep so we can win at life? So I just want to pause to give a huge shout out to the universe for always reminding me what I most need to learn and what I get to teach to other people. Can you relate? Have you lost some sleep recently or have your sleep habits fallen by the wayside? If so, this episode is perfect timing for you as well. Today, we're learning from world-renowned sleep science expert, Dr. Kirk Parsley, author of the upcoming book, Sleep to Win and a member of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine who served as Navy Special Warfare expert on sleep medicine. So we know that society right now, it's faster than ever. It's been this huge pace of our lives that sometimes can feel overwhelming, especially when it's driven by the hustle and grind mentality. No offense to Gary Vee, that's thrown out there on social media with all this messaging and the demands from our schedule and our families and career. How do we know intuitively when it's time to slow down and rest our bodies? I mean, we all know that a good night's sleep will make us feel better, but the impact of chronic sleep deprivation is far worse than we've ever realized. And with new science that we'll discuss on today's show with Dr. Parsley, not only will a lack of quality rest affect our mood, feelings, and overall wellness, but it can actually physically degrade memory and decision-making power, life expectancy, and so much more. So if we really want to make improvements to our physical and emotional intelligence, we get to ask ourselves a big, big question. How can we remedy our sleep habits and lifestyle to maximize our wellness and live life to the fullest potential? Well, on this episode with Doc Parsley, we're talking about this and so much more for the practical things we can all do to make sleep a priority in our lives. So Doc Parsley is also the creator of a scientifically proven sleep aid called Sleep Remedy that I got to try at Paleo FX in Austin and I could attest that it put me right to sleep and was much different than if I was just to take magnesium. Doc offered us a generous discount of 10% off this sleep remedy product that we'll talk about today in the show. Just click on your show notes either right from your phone or at the website, wellnessforce.com forward slash 125. You can get 10% off using code WF10. That's wf ten for your sleep remedy. All right, let's step in live and in person here in San Diego with Dr. Kirk Parsley. Dr. Kirk, so great to have you on the show, man. This is going to be an incredible conversation. I actually read in Rob Wolf's book recently, Wired to Eat. He put you in there. How long have you known Rob Wolf? What does that relationship look like? I want to say I met Rob around 2010. So
1: he was lecturing at an NSW event. I mean, kind of before that, a bunch of seals. Uh, I get back to the SEAL team as their doctor in 2009. And a bunch of the seals would come to my office and talk to me about, you know, the stuff they were talking to me about. And, and one of their top, one of their favorite topics was nutrition, and we would chat about nutrition and, and performance. And they were like, "Oh, you got to listen to this guy's podcast. Man, he's awesome. You're gonna love him." I didn't even know what the hell a podcast
0: was, to be honest. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it's check. crazy how many people don't still. Yeah. I was like, I'll check that out. Like,
1: I don't really know what that means. And then, you know, about six months later, whatever, I I figured all that out and I downloaded his podcast. I was like, yeah, I really like this dude. He's a smart guy. And, you know, Rob's just like perennial. He's kind of like Moses. Gr- yeah. Gracious and nice and uh, humble. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm meeting medium at an event. We're both lecturing at an NSW event, uh, Naval Special Warfare. I'm lecturing on sleep. I'm the sleep guy that talks a lot about nutrition, and he's a nutrition guy who talks a lot about sleep, right? Mm. So there's overlap there, but, I I mean, I still don't know him. I mean, I know this guy's got, like, a best-selling book and this badass podcast. And, you know, he's like got this quasi-celebrity status to him, you know? And I'm just, like, a, a guy in the Navy. You know, like, I'm just the Navy doctor who happens to be attached to that unit, so I'm lecturing there. And he comes up to meet me and he's like, Hey, man, I really, I I really love your stuff. And I'm like, What's my stuff? I don't know what the hell you mean. Like, I don't have your stuff. I don't have a book. I don't have a podcast. But yeah. So we kind of, uh, I think like he lectured and then had to, take off and then I lectured after that and we probably did that like two or three times and then we were at an event in Hawaii where we were there for four days so he had like a one hour lecture over those four days and I had a one hour lecture over the four Mm. days and the rest of the time we just hung out and planned world domination and you know the whole bromance started and just became good friends and the first podcast I was on was his he was what year was that? Probably 12 I'm guessing 2012 Yeah, Uh, maybe as early as uh, late 2011 but he was uh, he was in town to do another uh, spec war event, and I said, you know, you just crash at my house. So, you know, don't don't bother getting a hotel room. You know, kind of get rid of all that, yeah, you know, that pain in the ass part of of lecturing. Yeah, we were literally just sitting around uh, breakfast and chatting, and he's like, "Oh shit, I'm supposed to be doing a podcast right now." And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, you can go up, and I had this uh, theater room upstairs, and I'm like, you can go
0: up there and do it. And he says, well, do you want to be on my podcast? I don't have a guest right now. And I'm like, sure. So <laughs> <laughs> talk about being in flow, man. <laughs> yeah. So that's the relationship that I definitely feel from you two. And it's interesting. You were a medical physician. How did you make this jump from being an MD to doing really high level concierge practice? Yeah. I mean, that's a dynamic story. In a
1: snapshot, you most people wouldn't believe or think this about me, but I'm I'm a horrible rule follower and I'm horrible at doing things just because that's the way it's always been done or because that's what everybody says is true. If my personal experience doesn't match that, then I'm like, well, there's a good chance this isn't true, even though this whole body of people believe it. You know, It was pretty soon after I got out of medical school, well, after I got a residency, pretty shortly thereafter that I started seeing really big holes in what I could actually do, you know, uh, like when you, when you become a doctor, at least when I became a doctor and I think most people this way, you have this vision of what it's going to be like to be a doctor, right? You're going to be the guy with all the answers. You're going to like, Tell them what they need to do, give them, you know, write a script or do something and you're going to improve their lives and they're going to be healthy and happy and everything's going to be great. And being a doctor really isn't that, I mean, it's really disease management. And until it gets to the level of disease, the doctor's really not supposed to be involved. And I'm like hell with that like I want to help people way before it becomes disease so you know I, I was a certified personal trainer when I was 17 years old I was managing a gym when I was 18 years old and I was you know counseling people on nutrition just from books that I had read you yeah. know like, um and some stupid shit back then but it was what it was what people believed. was Jack LaLanne connected to what you're doing <laughs> in any way or? I was a big fan of Jack LaLanne yeah um I, I remember reading a book called Eat to Win, which is basically like a vegetarian kind of book. Um and it got me off of uh meat for a while and but then again experientially like my performance wasn't there and I'm like, Well, if I add in a little bit of meat, I actually perform better and so then I just kind of settled into my own thing, which was by and large kind of paleo <laughs> kind of you know, yeah. kind of what everybody yeah. teaches. And I was like whole, just to eat whole foods, you know, get rid of box stuff and so anyway, you know, when I got back to the SEAL teams as their physician I say this a lot, that being a SEAL is like being a professional athlete, right? The worst thing you can do to a SEAL is put him on the sidelines. Like, he's not going to tell you anything that might disqualify him from his job. And believe me, it's a big bureaucracy, and there's a lot of things that can disqualify him from his job. So Mm. they hide it. They go to see – you know, they go get their mandated checkups from their doctor, and they just – hide everything everything's fine everything's yeah. great no you can't problem. hide biomarkers though well but the navy just does super very superficial okay. stuff right so they're getting like their cholesterol done and a you know whatever yeah you know they're they're getting like a small chem panel and a cbc and uh like i don't know psa you know, like just a few you know random things. They're not testing any hormones. They're not, they might, they probably test uh, a few inflammatory markers, but nothing major, no major oxidative things. Definitely nothing along the anabolic or catabolic pathways, nothing mm. to do with insulin sensitivity, anything like that. And these guys wouldn't have showed in disease anyway. Right. So even if they came back, uh, even if they did do those markers and there was things a little off, you know, the doctor mantra is like, until you hit that number, it doesn't meet that definition and so you don't do anything mm. other than say oh you know something really big like oh you should you know, tune up your diet or, you know, make sure you're exercising enough. Which kind of means nothing, right? Right. Which means nothing because the doctors don't know anything because we don't learn anything about nutrition in medical school. We don't learn anything about sleep we don't learn anything about exercise and we don't learn anything about stress and we don't learn anything about mindset and we don't learn anything about optimizing health. We learn about how to diagnose, identify, diagnose and treat disease. That's it. Most of the time we can't even cure a disease. We're just treating that disease until you die. Right? Yeah. And that was just, you know, one, it wasn't my population. Seals didn't have any disease. But they weren't performing like they wanted to perform. They weren't performing like they knew they should be performing. They weren't performing like they were performing five years ago. And some of them would come in and just be like, well, you know, maybe I'm just old, right? It's just, I'm just getting old. Mm. I'm like, dude, you're 35 years old. That's yeah. not old by any by anyone's yeah. definition. Um, but very common stories, like the uh, the stories were so similar that, you know, by the time the 50th guy sat in my office and, you know, and, and that was the advantage of me having been a SEAL. They knew I wasn't going to disqualify them. They knew I was mm. going to keep everything. They trusted you, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I kept shadow files. I got in trouble for it, you know, but whatever. I kept shadow files so that nothing entered their record unless they wanted it to. And then I gave them their shadow file and I left. You know, but I wasn't doing disqualifying things. I wasn't putting them on drugs that was disqualifying. Yeah. Which is probably what would have happened had they told somebody else what they told me. If it's just like you have know, motivation issues. They're motivated guys. They're hard working yeah. guys. They're still getting after it. Sure. But they don't feel like getting after it. It's like drudgery. They're forcing themselves through every day. Body composition shifts, you know, like eating cleaner than they've ever eaten, really dialing in their exercise, you know, their their periodization, their Metcon kind of like getting everything really well in line. You know, but they're still getting fatter. They're still getting weaker. Uh, still getting slower. Yeah. Um a lot of memory stuff, a lot of like walk in a room, have no idea why I'm there. That's when they say I'm just getting old.
0: And these are like thirty and forty year olds.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like forty two at the oldest, probably, right? Yeah, and they're saying stuff like it takes me five times. This was so common. Five for some reason is the number five times to actually leave their house in the morning. So I well, like they forget their keys and go to the car, I realize yeah. I forgot my backpack. Go back oh, in and get God. their backpack get up, I forgot my ID, go back, get their ID. Oh, I forgot my lunch. And then half the time they'd pass the exit, like going to work and like have to circle back around. And then they just be like, man, I'm just getting old.
0: Man, what you were seeing with these teams is exactly what high powered executives deal with. I mean, some of the work on your site, we'll link this in the show notes. These hard charging executives have a restful and solid night of sleep. They'll gain an hour and a half in productivity. Now this flies in the face of people like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, hustle and grind. There's two things going on. There's this duality of like hard chargers in our world and then there's the people that just want to live life well, that want to be healthy in their body. Yeah. Where do we find the middle between those two? So I think the middle
1: is a lot like every other example on the planet, right? There's seasons for everything. There's a time to grind and there's a time to hustle. But you also need a restorative phase, right? I mean, I'm an entrepreneur now. There's times when I just have to work man it's, an, it's not an option because if i don't work i don't make any money if i don't make any money i can't you know i can't live so yeah you know i think that if you have a you know for lack of a better word i'd call it periodization like you would with exercise right like you just have like an intense growth period where it's like you know for the next four months my head is down i'm going to destroy myself and i know it I'm going to do everything I can to mitigate it though, right? This is what I do with my executives because entrepreneurs and executives, especially entrepreneurs are horrible about taking care of themselves because you know, their life is so intertwined with their job and their job is like their identity and it's their social yeah. structural. And yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. It's like all of my friends are business partners, you know, or yeah. business colleagues, you know, like last night, my wife was going to bed and I'm like, I'm going to read for a bit. And she's like, you mean work? And I'm like, no, just read. She's like, what are you reading? And I'm like this marketing book. And she's like, that's work. I'm like, no, it's yeah. just fun. Like, I'm just You're interested <laughs> in that. <laughs> um, I really think the way to do it is just to realize that you will break. Right, yeah. People don't want to believe they're going to break, and you know, I freaking love Jocko to death. Right, you know, one of the guys I just admire and respect more than anybody, and a dear friend. And and I think what he's doing is he's getting, you know, the the soft and the not necessarily.
0: I'm not. That's the wrong word. Kind of like demasculinated males.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's take he's taken these people who've kind of settled into this watered down way of living. They're like, you know what? I can actually. I can be a badass again, right? You know, most of the guys who follow Jocko, they were really badass dudes at one point, and they've just kind of settled into, like, this, you know, fatherhood, husband business kind of blasé life, and Jocko's, like, reinvigorating him, like, get your ass out of bed, go get after it, go get some, like, do things that scare you, push yourself, and that's exactly what every man on this planet needs to do. But (laughs) there's a reason that, professional sports have seasons there's a reason that people don't fight every single week when they're professional fighters you have to recover from that
0: type of stuff you know such a good point man conor mcgregor is not going to do a heavyweight fight every friday right no freaking way
1: it's not going to happen and the
0: data is in i mean you deal with a lot of data sets one of the pieces was high school traffic accidents yeah that is crazy yeah so the correlation if school starts just a little bit later there's less traffic accidents Yeah. Why isn't school starting later?
1: This is really sad commentary on where where we're at as a society, but it's primarily for parental convenience because parents have to start work at a certain time. So they need to get their kids to school before that. And because the busing system is no longer an affordable way to get kids to school. And, you know, helicopter parents don't really want to leave their kids with that sort of autonomy. I mean, like, my generation is completely normal to walk yourself to school in third grade, fourth yeah. grade, you know, like your mom might get you out of bed, but that was it. Like everything else was up to you. Pack I, your I own, walked to school. Yeah. yeah. Pack your own lunch, you know, get yourself to school on time. Like that was completely yeah. normal. No one, no one does that stuff anymore, but there's no, no dispute over the data. The data is. 20 years of very robust data. Um, there's an organization called Start School Later that I that I'm part of, you know, that I, I uh, contribute to when I can. And they're a lobbying group that have been trying to get school times pushed back. A very interesting aside is that and I want I want to say it's like 1901, 1903, something like that. The U.S. was dominating the world in education, like laughably just crushing yeah. the world in education. They tasked some academic, um, and I'm just I'm not somebody who remembers names. I don't even try. Uh, so they tasked this this academic, and I and I could find this article if your people are interested mm-hmm. in it to figure out why why we're doing so well in education. And so he studies all these other Western cultures education system and he comes back with one recommendation literally one and he said as long as we keep starting school at nine we're going to beat everybody else because everybody else is starting school too early and if you've ever had a teenager or ever been a teenager you know there's that adolescent period which now because of lots of environmental reasons can start around 12 years old sometimes right wow you start getting prepubescent You know, changes is some girls, maybe even 11, but boys very commonly 12, 13. So the rest of their school career, including college, usually they're sleep deprived. So you're completely wasting the first two or three hours of school. And it's not just the education, right? It's the health of the children, right? I mean, I always tell people it would be exactly the same as if our job started at 3 a.m. Wow. And that was just normal. Like we were just supposed to get up at 2 a.m. every day and go to work at 3 a.m., and just be expected to start cranking at 3 a.m. We couldn't do it. Like, we'd go in there and we'd do it, but we would suck for a couple of hours. Yeah. And then we'd gradually kind of get into it, and then we'd get off work at whatever. I guess whatever that would be, 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. or something like 11 a.m. Yeah. And that's what we're doing to our kids. Uh, and plus, kids need more sleep than we do because they are growing, right? They have so much going on. Um, but it's not just... I mean, it's not just a traffic accident, it's delinquency, it's drugs, it's
0: violence, it's emotionality, it's injury rates in sports. It's the The fascinating one for me was ADHD in kids, right? So ADHD can be intensified by sleep debt. Well, I personally think it's completely irresponsible to diagnose somebody
1: with ADHD if they're not sleep adapted. I got diagnosed with ADHD after about 15 years of chronic sleep deprivation. Guess what? When I slept, I no longer had ADHD. Like, once I got out of uh, residency and started sleeping normal amounts in normal times of the day, all of my symptoms went away. And if you, in fact, if you look at the symptoms of chronic sleep deprivation, just, you know, you can, and this is in medical literature, you can go to like a a Harrison's or something, um, and you can look at the symptoms of chronic sleep deprivation or chronic insomnia, and then look up, you know, go to a DSM four or five or whatever they're at right now. And look up the symptoms of adhd and tell me the difference wow like indistinguishable and it's actually the same process i mean what's going on with adhd is that your prefrontal cortex yep. isn't functioning as well as it should it doesn't have as much blood flow the neurotransmitters aren't there it's not using as much glucose same thing happens that's the first region of your brain that gets shut down when you start sleep depriving yourself and that's your simulator right that's the that's what you use to make decisions that's what you to use to predict the future and figure out if what you're doing right now is a good idea. (laughs)
0: That's how you stay in the present moment too. It's really hard to be in flow or just be in conversation if we're in sleep debt. How would you define sleep? This is a question you always ask your audiences when you lecture. What is your definition of sleep?
1: So my definition of sleep is, is, there's three components to it. Um, Two of them are from William DeMent, who's the grandfather of sleep medicine. He invented sleep medicine, essentially. The first one is there's a barrier between you and your environment. This is actually how I teach people about sleep hygiene, too, because there's so many opinions and tweaks and hacks about sleep hygiene. And sleep hygiene is a very simple concept. It's, like, it's two concepts you need to keep in mind. So the first thing is there's a barrier between you and your environment, which simply means that your brain is not paying attention to the environment as much as it usually does. You're not feeling as much. You're not smelling as much. You're not hearing as much. You're not seeing as much. You're just not as involved with your environment. There's some barrier between you and your environment. If you're home in bed snoring, that's a high barrier. If you're dozing off in a classroom, we'll agree you're still asleep, right? Yeah. There's some barrier between you and what's going on, but like, you know, pencil hitting the floor can pop you awake. So that barrier is pretty low. Or the teacher smacking the desk, right? Right. Or your name being called, or like something fairly innocuous can bring you out of that. So there's still a barrier, but the barrier's low. So there's a barrier between you and your environment. You also have to be able to be awakened, right? So if I get the other Josh up here to volunteer and I smack him in the head with a baseball bat and he falls on the ground, would you say, oh, he fell asleep? Like, no, that's not sleep. He's unconscious, right? Which is what sleep drugs do. They make you unconscious. You can't truly be awakened. When you wake somebody up on Ambien, they're not awake. They might sit up and have a conversation with you yeah they're in a fog though but they don't they don't have any memory they don't have any idea what they're saying um because their brain is dissociated so you have to be able to be awakened and because of the myriad of sleep drugs and sleep aids and sleep hacks and all that stuff i added a component my the third part of my definition is that there has to be predictable neuronal patterns so when we do an eeg on people's uh head and, you know, we'd get their respiratory rate, and we get their pulse, and we get their, you know, pulse ox, and we get, you know, what regions of the brain are firing, what kind of wave, like generalized wave patterns are going across their brains. That's what a sleep study is, right? A polysomnograph. You comp- you compile all of that information into one sort of chart, and, you know, sort of a cartoonish chart, but it'll tell you stage one. St- and a lot of these sleep trackers look like this, right? Sleep, sure. Stage one, two, three, and four of sleep. And there's an architecture that's supposed to be there, right? You're supposed to go from stage one down to stage four, and you're supposed to stay there for 90 to 120 minutes. And then you're supposed to come back up and do a little bit of REM and then do another slightly shorter deep sleep. And then progressively over the night, just less and less deep sleep and more and more REM sleep. And that architecture is predictable. Now, if you use alcohol as a sleep aid, if you use Ambien as a sleep aid, if you use Benadryl as a sleep aid, if you use, you know...
0: You name it. What about marijuana? A lot of people might smoke marijuana and then go to bed. What do you feel about that?
1: Marijuana has probably the lowest level of sleep architecture disturbance. It's non-discriminatory, right? So Mm. certain drugs really crush REM sleep and certain drugs really crush deep sleep. Whereas... Whereas marijuana just kind of seems to mute everything, right? So you get more stage two sleep, which we don't really think is the super restorative stuff. And it makes sense to me. Logically, again, I approach everything in this sort of a very... Common sense, practical. I mean, yeah. we don't know shit, right? Like, I, yeah. I can get you a pile of papers this high that say one thing and a pile of papers this high that say that thing and they're completely contradictory and they're both from Ivy League education. They're both peer reviewed. We don't know what the hell we're talking about. Like, there's so many things we don't know. We, <laughs> we act like we know. Right. And when you're in that conundrum, I'm just like, Well, let's step back and just think about it. How did we evolve? I mean, it took millions of years for us to get to this place. We're running on really old software. Right. Very, very old software. It's like very, very old software. So why don't we hedge towards that? Right. So that just makes the most sense to me.
0: Right. Yeah. There's the bunker test that yeah. I've heard you speak about. Yeah. This was back in the day before um, poly, was the was Polysomnographs. The right? yeah. Polysomnographs. So you'd put someone in a bunker, no light, just right. basically no interaction whatsoever. They would essentially go from 12 hours sleep and then they would l- end up somewhere around seven and a half or eight hours. But there was a three-week period where, does the body just need that? Do you feel like, how, what's the percentage of people that just need that 12 hours and then titrate down from there? I would say in Western civilization, probably
1: 85 to 90% of us are carrying around some sleep debt. I commonly make the correlation. Um, and it's not mine. I, th- I think I got it from William DeMent. It's like credit card debt, right? It's really hard to pay off credit card debt, especially yeah. if you're paying the minimum, right? It takes a really long time to pay it off. Yeah. Um, and every now and then, you need to go back into more debt. And then you're kind of starting over. Um Sleep debt's very similar. We don't know how long you carry sleep debt, right? If you say, let's see, you know, let's just do easy math and uh, make it simplistic. But let's say you need exactly eight hours of sleep. Like, that's what you need. That's your magic number. It doesn't matter what you do, how hard you exercise, how hard you work, what you eat. You need eight hours. If you sleep six hours in college and in the first three or four years that you're at this new job or whatever, and then you... Start sleeping eight hours, you're not really paying anything back, are you? You're just kind of, yeah, you're paying that day, mm-hmm. but you haven't paid back any of that sleep debt. So, when you're 50, do you still have that college sleep debt? We don't really know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's hard to know because very few people just go to start sleeping eight hours a night and then do it consistently, right? Yeah. So, you know, the bunker trials was one example of that. That's been recreated a uh, countless number of times. Um, And it always turns out the same way. People sleep a lot. And even like with my sleep supplement, I'm kind of giving people permission to sleep, Mm. right? Um, They'll hear me talk. They'll come and talk to me in my booth. I'll give them a sample. And they have like this permission, they're like, you yeah. Know, well, I'm, I'm gonna really sleep tonight, right? And I'm not gonna feel guilty about it. And I'm gonna, I'm doing this for my health. They're like, a, it's like my, an indulgence. Almost. Yeah, I'm like, I'm doing this for my well being, right? Yeah. And so they come back the next day. They're like, man, I slept twelve and a half hours. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. There's nothing in my product that lasts more than three hours, but. <laughs> you know yeah. you slept 12 hours because you got into a good rhythm you allowed yourself to sleep you valued sleep you did what needed to be done yeah. and you got a great night's sleep man and you know all of these trials when they do them it, like like you said that data is really consistent it's about 12 and a half hours a night on average that whoever you put in there will sleep and then it's like in know from three to six weeks before they average out at that seven and a half hours yeah. and at seven and a half hours plus or minus half an hour which it bores out every time. If they don't have an alarm clock, they don't have any cue. They don't have any sunlight. They have no idea what time it is. That's how long people sleep. Mm. Um, and then people, you know, some guy was blowing me up on Twitter because I said people needed eight hours and everybody's different. And, that's, and I'm like, who? But Tell me da- who's different. The like,
0: data yields <laughs> that it's somewhere between the seven and a half to eight, right? Right. So and it always turns out to be that way. And if you look at hunter gatherers. Yeah. Uh, that still have never been exposed to electricity guess how long they sleep i wonder what it would be like to take someone from ten thousand years ago put them in this physical body in this current experience how do you think they'd react i think they'd have a psychotic break in the like first
1: 10 minutes of being in (laughs) our society we are so inundated with stimulation that people just are not used to yeah Um,
0: but we're the same though that's
1: the dichotomy yeah but it's the same machine right it's like you know we've whatever we you know we've taken a nine eleven and turned it into an off-road racer or something you know like i, I don't know um hmm. you know there was there was an article in, in uh biology uh, a couple of years ago that I, I kind of wrote a rebuttal to because i i think they kind of skewed the title and data to make it sound different than it was interpreted the data i should say okay. to make it sound different than it really is um but people do this all the time they go on vacation and you know, they don't go to a fancy resort. They stay in some little beach hut yeah. or they go out into a cabin. I mean, this type of behavior, very common. And uh, or, or they go camping even, right? And camping socks, right? Like how comfortable yeah. is camping? I uh, love camping, but uh, it's I mean, not I, comfortable. It's not yeah. comfortable. Like you, <laughs> you come home all. with sore hips and sore backs yeah. and sore shoulders, right? But, yeah. but you go camping and you, you actually use the sunlight as your cue Everybody gets really sleepy about three hours after the sun goes down. Yeah. You know, unless you're actively doing something to not make yourself sleepy. Same thing when you go on, you know, you go down to Costa Rica and get like a little beach hut or you go out into Wyoming and you rent a little cabin off the grid. Everybody does that. It's what we're designed to do. Yes, we can do other things, yeah. right? We can eat donuts for every meal and we can survive, right? We can eat McDonald's for every meal and we can survive doesn't mean it's optimal. It doesn't mean you're thriving.
0: It's yeah. not the best life you can live. It's not yeah. your highest performance, but you can get by on it. So then circadian rhythm, there's another term too for our cells. And there's the difference between circadian rhythm, and there's one that's actually based on ultradian. So, so what's the difference? That's the first time I've ever heard that term. Yeah. What is that all about, and how does that contrast to sleep-wake cycle?
1: There are things going on right now. Like our, our hormones are fluctuating. Our heart rate is fluctuating. Our blood pressure is fluctuating. Which side of our nose we're, di- is, we're breathing out of the most, which bronchial tree we're breathing out of the mo- huh. most. Um, what sort of functions our liver is doing, how quickly it's doing it, how much peristalsis we have going on in our gut. All of that stuff is all ultradian. Like every cell in your body has a clock, but not every cell in your body gets exposed to sunlight and not every cell yeah. in your body is completely controlled by the circadian rhythm. There, it's all like every cell in your body is influenced by the circadian rhythm, but that's not necessarily the dominant cue for everything, which is my opinion why shift work is so deleterious to your health. Because even if you sleep nine hours every single day, but you do shift works and you're completely out of phase with the sun, your circadian rhythm and your ultradian rhythm are mismatched, right? And your body is doing things while you're asleep that it should be doing while you're awake and vice versa. So you kind of have like Mac OS and Windows running on your computer simultaneously Mm. and and, and trying to make one cohesive program and what makes sense out of it they don't talk to each other and they don't talk very well and there's things going on you know i can't say specifically well it's it's this factor in your liver that's leading to that and that's whatever i don't i don't know to that detail i don't know that anyone does you know you're you're basically your body has all sorts of rhythms um and no surprise it's you know it's it's very well matched with the rest of the planet and every other form of life on the planet that uses all you know that you know, primarily uses the season and the sun. and
0: it's like our body has this innate intelligence. It's giving us all these clear signals what to do all the time. But yet the current modern day responsibilities just put a stake right in that. I know a lot of parents, a lot of moms listen to the show. So they're watching, they're listening. They're like, yeah, we understand Dr. Parsley, but you don't get it. Like I have to put my kids to bed. I have to do this. I have to do that. I'm curious if you could contrast that with the way you talked about the seasons. You know, life for a busy mom is way different than for a single 22 year old.
1: It's a conundrum. And, you know, and I'll preface it with um, what you sort of alluded to at the beginning there. We aren't just meant to be aligned with this with everything else we are everything else right we are just as much a part of this earth as that tree in my backyard and the ants crawling around in it and the animals out in the hills like there's no difference between us and them we just have this big brain that's allowed us to build structures and light bulbs and like kind of take ourselves out of that environment and we do it to to our detriment a lot like yeah. there's a lot of what we do that's bad for our health um because we pulled ourselves like we've ridden like we've been on this big spending organism that we've been a part of, and then you know, like a couple hundred years ago, we're like, "Thanks for the ride," but we got it from here. Like we're gonna do whatever the hell we want to. From <laughs> now on. Um, and there's some there's some consequences to it. Yeah. Um, so like when I work with moms, my biggest like my biggest, and, and it's true for single parents. I mean, I've been a single parent as a, as a father, and I know how crazy it can be working full time and getting your kids to all their events in the schools. And man, I mean, I've been there. I've done all that stuff. You know, there were clear choices that I made that made that harder. Primarily what I have to do with those people is I have to work on the mindset and we have to say, what's really non-negotiable, right? Like we all want our kids to have everything. We all want our kids to be able to do every activity they want to do. We all want our kids to have 4.0 GPAs and go to Ivy League schools and have a beautiful life and all this stuff. And guess what? That's just not the way the world works. You can't do everything you want to do, right? you know, as an adult, like I'd love to have a private jet. I don't have one, you know, but my kid is supposed to get like a $600 gaming system if he really wants it, because that makes me a responsible parent. Right. Um, and you know, that's, that's a banal, um, you know, example of that, but really it's, it's a prioritization issue. And I have a business partner in Austin and she, I I mean, I admire so many things about her, but one of the, one of the things I admire most about her, she was a single parent, a very busy single parent, you know, solopreneur for a few, probably 10 or 12 years of her kid's lives, And she just sat them down and told him and said, look, there's a lot of stuff you're going to want to do. We won't be able to afford all of it. And there's a lot of things you'll want me to be at, but I'm really busy and I won't be able to be at all of them. But if there's something that you really, really want me to be at, like you, like this is just imperative and it means the world to you, I will make it happen. I will be there. But I'm not going to go to every soccer practice. I'm not going to go to every, right? And I'm like, that's part of the game, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to learn to do some slow cooking because I'm not going to come home and cook dinner every night. You're going to have to get up a little early and pack your own lunch. You so know? you have to get really practical with these people.
0: You right? do. It's You're, beyond just knowledge. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and it's, and I try to do everything sort of conceptually and philosophically like here's the concept you figure out how you make that work in your life right like my kids are um i mean i have a kid in college and i have a 16 year old son and a 14 year old daughter it just occurred to me (laughs) right and i'm a guy who teaches this stuff for a living right yeah just occurred to me like two years ago these kids are plenty old enough to make their own lunches like i was getting (laughs) up (laughs) like i'm getting up every morning and i'm making their breakfast them breakfast. And, or they won't eat breakfast and I'm packing their lunches for them. So I'm losing an extra hour of sleep to get them going. And then I have to come home and work until they're done with school. Cause then I have to go get them from Man. school and then I have to run them to football and dance and like what all their activities are. And I was like, you know, it's really stupid. They, they can do their own thing, you know? and, my kids can do the dishes. My kids can clean up this, and they can do their own laundry. Yeah. And, you know, and and I just started putting more and more responsibility on them, and then, you know, carving out my time so that okay, dad can get a little more sleep, and dad can get a little more rest, and dad can get a little work done at night, so he doesn't have to crush himself before you know two thirty pickup from school. But it, it's just you know, my life is different than you know the woman across the street's life, sure. but the concepts are the same. The concepts are just basically. Even if you really, 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 really want to, you can't
0: do everything. (laughs) Like you can't have everything, even though you really, really want it. You can't, it just doesn't work that way. This is the ultimate truth is like, there's some intelligence out there when it comes to how moms interact with their life and then even busy dads. But then when you look across the board, there is something to be said about just how conscious people are. We don't have to get too in the weeds here with spiritual babble, but consciousness and sleep. You've said before, if people are sleep deprived, they're essentially walking around and being in life less conscious. Yeah. So we have a society that directs us towards working and grinding and doing, which is good in seasons, as you've mentioned, but the lack of consciousness that sleep debt promotes. Can you expound upon that?
1: Man, there's there's so many facets to that. Um, yeah. I mean, I could go on for hours about that. Uh, I mean, something very, very simple, like you talked about. You deprive yourself an hour of sleep. You lose an hour and a half of productivity. Negative some game, right? You're losing every single night. Yeah. You can't talk people out of that, man. It's the hardest thing. I talk to the these brilliant London School of Economic grads who've built hundred million dollar businesses. I can't convince these people that sleep is the most important thing for them. I give them all the damn data in the world and I I can't do that. They'll do everything else I say. Why uh, is that? I, I think it's social programming. Social programming has convinced us that sleep is a form of weakness. It's a form of laziness. It's it's a luxury. It's not a luxury. It's no more of a luxury than not eating, right? I mean, why do you have to eat? You have to eat every day? Come on. Like, you don't like we, what kind of glutton are you? You're going to eat every day? Yeah. And you're three times a day? Really? Like, you could get so much wor- more work done if you didn't eat. Nobody does that, right? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. But this other biological need. So you lose the product Activity, you lose emotional intelligence, right? You sleep deprive, or we call it sleep restrict. You basically take away two hours of sleep from some, from a partner in a monogamous relationship. Doesn't matter who. You have them spend the whole day together. At the end of the day, you have them go in separate rooms and evaluate how the day went. And they say, well, he wasn't quite there. She wasn't quite there. Like, it was okay. Wasn't quite emotionally and is attached. Not quite as communicative. Like, not quite as affectionate. Doesn't matter which one you sleep deprived. They both say that about the other. Now, imagine both people being sleep deprived all the time. And now take that to the workplace. How are you communicating at work? What is your mood like? How much much joy are you getting out of it? Mm. You know, there's... I mean, I, I study a lot about business now and team building and all this stuff. And one of the, one of the most important things about having a successful company is people really enjoying working together and getting along with their coworkers and having like this sort of, you know, group identity, this tribe mentality. Like those are the businesses that just crush it and yeah. thrive. And it's the same thing in your community, right? Like if you know four or five moms hang around together and all their kids hang around together, they all have the same values and they all like bond like those are the kids that like you know are leading the pack in their sports and their academics and you know their their social structures and all that stuff and that just go on to have super happy productive lives but again for some reason we've been talked into believing that sleep is a luxury and so, people don't consider that to be a component of it, but I would submit it is the most important component. There is no, there is nothing that will screw up your communication, your mental focus, your attention, your presence, like your ability to actually be a parent. I mean, this is something I've had to, I've struggled with, you know, being a doctor and being an entrepreneur now is um, I don't have nearly as much time with my kids as so I wish I did. But guess what? If I'm really present with my kids and I'm like, I'm, we're super engaged and we're having great conversations and we're doing fun stuff together and I'm able to really be there. I mean, you can look back in your life, like how Mm -hmm. you like your memories of your parents are small, right? There's like little bits, yeah, um, little little, flashes, little flashes of like really good times and like some pearls of wisdom that you're just like, wow, I wish like, you know, that was such a clever, like, I, you know, I learned that lesson from like, from my father was a great example of that or my grandpa or whatever, like something somebody said, like, you know, life is you we're, by and large, shaped by very selective experiences, very small selective experience. 90% of what we think about every day, we think about every day. It's the same <laughs> stuff we're thinking about yeah. every day. It's like that 10% difference that shapes us, that allows us to grow, that allows us to expand, that allows us to get better. That performance is... You know, seriously degraded if you're physiologically broken. And the fastest way to physiologically break yourself is
0: sleep deprivation. Give us the hygiene then, because there's a lot of data online about hygiene, but yeah. there is some core tenets that you yeah. talk about. We know the consciousness can be affected, but now we're talking about really raising consciousness with better sleep hygiene. The very first
1: prerequisite to getting really good sleep is to really believe that you need sleep and to value it. And whatever that takes, until you get there, don't bother doing anything else. Until you can convince yourself, this is really something important, or I'm at least gonna give this a week or a month and I'm just gonna I'm going to believe it's important and I'm gonna put everything I can into it. So until you get there, it's not worth doing anything. Because if you have asset, you get no results whatsoever. Um, in fact, you'll probably feel worse you know we can, we kind of get used to beating ourselves down in a certain way and that becomes normal life force and if you vacillate that you can actually end up feeling worse even though you maybe got a little more rest Ooh. value sleep once you value sleep it's pretty damn easy from there if you have yeah. the internet if you have you know access to a computer you can find all sorts of yeah. little you know gadgets and tricks and you know tenets as you talk about rules for sleep hygiene but i say value it and then think about your children or think about when you were a child Nobody takes a three-year-old kid while they're playing with their Thomas the Tank Engine and watching television and puts them in bed and walks out. Would that work? Hell no, it wouldn't work. Yeah. There's a long protracted period of getting a kid ready for bed. Like I told you, the hunter gatherers and when we go camping, when we go to the beach, we spend three to three and a half hours after the sun do- goes down getting our brains ready to go to sleep. And that Is you know part of that is photo period getting the light, the blue light out of our eyes, so that's what the electronics are about. It's not that the TV's bad or your iPhone is bad or your gaming system is bad, whatever. What if we
0: use the the iris or you know the the different filters to get the blue light out? So that's that's
1: a way of handling that, and that's something I do. Like and and my wife does it, and um, you know I have you know just like some blue blocking amber glasses that I put on and go about my life but i put on my own about seven o'clock because i want to go to bed around 10 o'clock is my it's kind of my norm yeah you know however you reduce the photo period i don't care like if it's a filter on your ipad if it's a f- you know flux on your computer if it's glasses if it's buying the 150 Phillips light bulbs that don't have blue the red lights or like yeah. I, like i don't care however you do it get the light out of your eyes the blue light in your eyes you know the decrease of blue light in your eyes starts the cascade towards the melatonin production the end really really the end result of the melatonin although there's there's thousands of things going on but you know to be overly simplistic the end result of the melatonin is really reducing stress hormones Mm. stress hormones i don't mean like anxious i'm stressed you and i have stress hormones keeping us awake right now yeah your stress hormones are allowing you to pay attention to me. My stress hormones are allowing me to pay attention to you. It's it's keeping us alert in proportion with our environment. If somebody bursts through my door with a machine gun, our stress hormones are going way up, right? Um, if you go lay down and take a nap. Your stress hormones are going way down. So you have to, you have to get the light to start that cascade. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I told you in the beginning, uh, when we were talking about the definition of sleep, the barrier that exists between you and your environment, Yeah. that's what most people mess up. Right. So people wear blue blocking glasses, they put F-Lux on their computer, they you know do all the stuff, they have it on their iPhone, they get the special light bulbs, but then they think they can work until 9.30 and go to bed at 10. You have to decrease your interaction with the environment, which is why you can go out to happy hour when you're tired as hell and sleepy as hell, and you just want to go to sleep. And after drinking some cns depressants which should make you more tired you're all of a sudden completely awake because you're really interacting and you're really aware of your environment the neurotransmitter neuropeptide that is responsible by and large responsible for that is gaba um, and GABA starts getting produced in your brain when the sun goes down. And so mm. GABA levels are increasing and it's just kind of slowing down that neocortex, which is what people think of when they think of a human brain, that's the neocortex, right? It's like the wrinkly gray matter. And it has, you know, my hand is moving because of that. I'm feeling the wind when I move my hand, I'm feeling the chair under me. I like yeah. all of this, my mouth is moving. All of this stuff is happening because of that motor cortex. I'm seeing, I'm smelling, I'm tasting because of that neocortex. But it to turn that off. And GABA lowers the, the what's called the resting potential. It makes it harder for your brain to get stimulated. So that's why my supplement is all it is. is All it is is the melatonin production pathway with mm. a little bit of melatonin and then it has a form of GABA in it that they can get in the brain and that's it. And I'm basically trying to take that three and a half hour window hyper concentrate everything in your brain like it would have happened over three hours we're yeah. just going to do it in 30 minutes it's still going
0: to all go away really quick you yeah. know like it does, it's not going to linger around for 10 or 12 hours it just doesn't work that way so then through supplementation we can increase the hygiene right I mean that's kind of what I'm hearing from you so in sleep remedy tryptophan GABA 5-hydroxy tryptophan why is it so effective for increasing the hygiene
1: so the hygiene has to main, has to be a component that you maintain Yeah, there are certain people that just are never going to get enough sleep that's because they're shift workers or they're overly busy, overly committed parents or overly busy or using entrepreneurs too much? or whatever their issue is. There's certain there, there are people that just are never going to get enough sleep. Yeah. You have to do something to mitigate that. All right. Because chronic sleep deprivation takes about 16 years off your life. I mean, there's very few things that take 16 years off your life increases your risk for every disease every kind of problem but as but to me i think more importantly is what we talked about earlier is like it numbs you to your environment it decreases the whole purpose of being here like to me this is all about squeezing as much joy out of life as i can possibly get and if i'm walking around numb and dumb all the time because i'm sleep deprived but i'm getting more work done that's defeating the whole purpose like i'm my goal isn't to like accumulate more work than anybody else right so, I mean, if you've heard of the the uh, tryptophan coma with the turkey at Thanksgiving, totally. right? it's not that turkey has a lot of tryptophan in it. I mean, it has tryptophan in it, but so does every other meat. But we just don't tend to eat two pounds of steak, right? We yeah. eat two pounds of turkey, right? <laughs> uh, so we just eat a lot more of it. And tryptophan becomes 5-hydroxy tryptophan, and that becomes serotonin, and serotonin becomes melatonin. And our stress hormones get relaxed and we have this, you know, our gut, like our gut brain is, you know, digesting our food and not secreting a bunch of GABA and neuroinhibitory uh, things. And uh, like everything's just kind of slowing down and we feel like fading off to sleep. We have a little nap and we get up and go, this is the same process that happens at night. Um, And so I could give you the sleep supplement right now while we're doing this interview and you're not going to... be able to tell that you took it it's not going to make any difference right you have to actually still do things right to get yourself ready for bed and that's the sleep hygiene component that's the valuing sleep component that's scheduling and planning around sleep like all of that stuff is important and if you can do all of that without a supplement then do it all without a supplement sure that's what supplement means it's supplemental and for most people you know there's there's the ideal, and we know pretty much what the ideal is. It's kind of what we evolved to be and how we evolved to exercise and eat and, you know, think and stress and behave and, and sleep. And then, you know, there's life stuff that gets in and like maybe here's reality. And that's as that's as good as it's ever going to get. And then here we supplement. And, you know, that, that might be like yeah. a nutritional supplement. That might be a gadget that we use to help us get to sleep or a gadget we use to help calm our nerves if it's you know if that gap is stress or you know an electrical stem thing to work out if we don't have time to work out and that gap is you know exercise whatever like that's that's what supplemental
0: things are for and i think there's a unique fit for some people because like ben greenfield he might sleep with like lasers attached to his thighs right Right. so so it's different things work for different people have you seen across the board though with these high powered executives people that are inundated you know running a business have you seen technology any kind of sleep tracking i know the aura ring has some really deep insights now They just published that. What are your thoughts around technology helping people in their intelligence for sleep? So, I don't like to stress anybody out and tell them that they need that. Um, There's
1: obviously a large subset of the population that really enjoys that stuff and really likes to play with that stuff. And I have the Aura Ring. um, And if they'd make it a little bit bigger, I'd wear it every night, but I can't get it off. (laughs) I put it on one time. It took me like two hours to get it off. I'm like, I'm not wearing that again. Yeah, that's a great device. Um, You know, I would say that's that's probably the best sleep tracking device on there. But, you know, I have, you know, 65-year-old clients who, you know, don't even have a smartphone, aren't interested in any kind of gadget. Yeah. A journal works just fine, right? Like, if they just say, went to bed at this time, got up at this time, felt this way, that works, right? Yeah. Um, you just have to have some way of tracking it so that you don't fool yourself and so that you're actually aware of it. You know, it'd be like, you know, having body composition goals, but
0: not having a scale or a mirror. Right. So, do you feel like the act of measuring increases the consciousness, asking that first big question that you talked about, where, hey, do I care about sleep? Right. Once they go from there, how effective is it to use the tech? Is right. that more effective than the hygiene and the supplementation, or are they all kind of comprehensive? No, I, again, I think all the tech is supplemental. Yeah. Um, you know, there,
1: there's this huge biohacking, neurohacking, whatever the, you know. Is sleep meant to be hack- hacked? Well, my argument is that nothing's meant to be hacked, right? My argument is that the only time to use what these people are calling hacks is that supplemental, right? That's between the ideal and the reality, and you need something to supplement in that. And if sleeping on a grounding mat and putting butter in your coffee makes the difference, then fine. I don't. And I am not here to tell you whether it's true or not. <laughs> yeah. um, but lifestyle is. That's the way to do it. Um, When you can't quite get there with lifestyle, that's when you use these things. But I always remind everybody that the original biohackers is the pharmaceutical industry. Like in my mind, a hack means you're trying to improve upon evolution. You're trying to do something that your body wasn't meant to do or make your body do something better than it would ordinarily be able to do without you tricking it, like coming up with some trick to make your body better, your brain better than it evolved to be. I don't think that's realistic. I think that if everybody just lived to their potential, they would be phenomenally happy Hmm. and performing so much better. And life just isn't fair. I mean, like, not everybody is as smart as everybody else. Not everybody is as athletic as everybody else. Like, one of my favorite Joe Rogan bits is... The salmon never gets to eat the bear, right? The bear always eats the salmon. Always. Like life is not fair. Like, you, like you know, I'm never going to kick Anderson Silva's ass, no matter how much I try for the, you know, train for the rest of my life. Never going to happen. Yeah. Not that he want to, but you know, right. that you know, the point is that all of our aptitudes aren't equal, but our ability to get joy and live our lives to the fullest is equal. Man. and that's a lifestyle choice that's a philosophical choice that's a prioritization you know again my my business partner in austin she talks she her, her primary thing is she she trains people on money like how to maintain their how to build their wealth and how to you know plan plan their wealth but one of the questions she always asks people is how much is enough nobody knows nobody has any idea like they just throw out these arbitrary numbers and she shows them a way to figure out how much is enough and I'm like oh that's mm. that's pretty smart the same thing is true with your life like how much is enough? Like, how much physical performance is enough? How much work is enough? How much money is enough? How much time with your kids is enough? That's an individual, that's an individual, just um, you know, decision. But you need to systematically think about that, and then you need to build your life to do that. And if that includes a few gadgets and a few supplements and a few yeah. hacks, if
0: you want to call them hacks, fine. Yeah. But the lifestyle is the way to do it. I have loved the nuances of our conversation today. Uh, I want to give people some info about your book. You said it's been three years in the making. Plus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's called Sleep to Win. Yeah, Tell us about that, man. Well, because it took me three years to do it, uh, because it's taken
1: three years or so, it was actually... Uh, Rob Wolf and I were doing a joint venture originally. That was okay. that was originally the plan. And, you know, I was going to segue directly from clinical medicine into sort of the information space like I am now, like, ed, you know, education, information, training. And I was just, you know, and I developed this sleep supplement with the SEALs, and I was just going to let some supplement company build that for me. And I was just going you know, to, whatever, own the IP and get royalties. I didn't really care. It was yeah. just, that was an integrity issue. I told the seals I'd get it out there and I would. And what happened is the supplement deal with companies just kept falling apart for various reasons. Like I just found I couldn't find anybody that I really wanted to do it with, uh, that I really trusted. And so, you know, either they wanted to like market it in a really smarmy way or they wanted to use crappy ingredients or like, you know, there were just a lot of things I wasn't comfortable with. There was all different approaches. So I just said hell with it, I'm gonna do it myself totally naive like i know nothing about business and i'm just like yeah i'll just crank this thing up you know Mm. six months we'll get robbed to promote it and it'll be fine right yeah and uh three you know two and a half years later i'm I'm still deeply ensconced in that business um although i am extricating myself more and more every month so you know that kind of derailed me um i had to I had, instead of writing, I had to do a ton of reading. I had to learn. I didn't even know what the, hell the sales funnel was. I didn't know what an yeah. e-commerce platform was. I didn't know how to produce supplements. I didn't know how to package. I didn't know how to, like, I didn't know Q&A, QCs. So, like, I knew nothing. So, at some point, actually, we were talking about that Colby. Uh, so, I did my first Colby test. I was, I was um, one of the coaching organizations I was in with Strategic Coach, and about a year and a half ago, they did the Colby. When you do the Colby, they'll tell you, well, here's how you... Here's how you preferentially behave. And something that I always kind of beat myself up on over my whole life was that I did everything at the last minute. Um, But they looked at my thing and said, you're always going to do everything at the last minute. You only work on deadlines. So just give yourself a deadline for anything you need to do. Just give yourself a deadline. Yeah. So you can pre-launch your book on Amazon. It's
0: on Amazon right now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So you can pre-sell your book on Amazon and then you have 88 days to get the book completed. And if you don't, Uh, There's all sorts of bad boy hand spanking, but you also get banned from Amazon for a year. So I threw it out there. (laughs) I said, you know, I'm like, I have the book written. It's just, it's really a matter of me curating what I've already written and organizing it. Um, I don't think it's going to be uh, the book that I wanted to write if I just. You know, if I had the proverbial cabin out in the woods and, you know, nine months to write it, it's not that book, but it's a book that it's a book that's going to answer 90% of the questions that I get asked every, you know, every podcaster, every time I go on stage or every event I go to, um, there's some low hanging fruit that, uh, you know, some people do a decent job of, of presenting and some people don't. Um, and, and I really think it's, uh, yeah, you know, I I think my my experience and um, interest in how performance is enhanced by sleep, and really use really thinking of sleep as a performance enhancing tool. Um, as opposed to a physiological need or disease risk mitigation or those types of things that really don't excite people. But yeah. if I tell you, I'm going to make you smarter, faster, stronger, better looking, like all this, anything that you measure yourself by, I can help you do that. And not only is that just sleeping well, but I can... You know, there's gonna be a little bit about how nutrition's affecting that and how that's affecting your sleep. And there's going to be like, how do you plan little naps in there? And how do you catch up if you don't sleep? And if you have your druthers, like what time of day should you perform this task based on when you sleep? Yeah. That type of stuff will be in there. And, um, you know, and, and then just like some of the stories of my, um, that my clients have just made, like, like I, I literally have patients who've lost a hundred pounds because they, because I got them to sleep. Yeah. That's all I did. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't coach them on anything else. I just worked with them for like three months to get their sleep dialed in. And then, you know, the next thing, you know, they felt like eating better and they felt like going to the gym and they felt like working out and they felt happier and they didn't, you know, they weren't, they weren't eating out of emotional displeasure and like all this stuff happened. You know, three to five years later, they're still 100 pounds lighter. And I never I never did anything
0: for their weight loss. I think it's so easy for people to forget. Like, you know, this ghrelin, this our appetite signal to eat yeah. food. If we're not sleeping enough, you've talked about this quite a bit, yeah. ghrelin rises. And then you're yeah. eating almost unconsciously, actually.
1: And, and your insulin sensitivity drops, yeah. Um. you know, and your satiety, your satiety cues are off. And so, like, your desire to eat food is almost 100% driven by your neurochemistry and your neurochemistry is almost 100% driven by how well you're sleeping. If you take two hours of sleep away from somebody, they'll eat 30% more calories the next day, but almost hundred percent of those 30% calories will be refined carbohydrates. Just to kill the stress response? It's to kill the stress response, but I remember we talked about the prefrontal cortex. Yeah. Um, So eating does settle people down because it's parasympathetic, right? You put food in your gut and it starts balancing out your autonomics, which get out of balance when you just deprive yourself of a little sleep, you're sympathetically dominant. So we're trying to balance this out. Food does that to some degree, but the prefrontal cortex actually senses a change in blood glucose, right? It doesn't matter what the total number is. It's the rate of change you could be diabetic and have a blood glucose level of 300 but if it drops down to 250 too quickly your brain says we're starving like no way. we're heading into famine you need to go get some high impact which is sugar right the brain wants sugar unless you're in ketosis the brain wants sugar as its primary fuel source so you need to go get some sugar right now in fact that's the only time that any animal on this planet sleep deprives themselves other than humans when they're starving. So when their blood glucose is low and when they're asleep, the sort of the last maybe third of their sleep, when their stress hormones are starting to come back up and their stress hormones coming back up starts increasing physiology and they get a big drop in their blood glucose and then they get up, yeah, and they go out and forage for food and their prefrontal cortex is deliberately shut down. It's deliberately muted because they need to take more risk. They need to you know, try novel foods that they haven't because they're starving, right? It's it's survival. Yeah. So they're going to get closer to humans. They're going to go eat out of human, you know, bears are going to eat out of your trash can because it doesn't have any (laughs) of its other food. Like, so there's this disinhibition. Humans are exactly the same. What was it? Uh, There's a book on um,
0: willpower. We've talked about this concept. It's decision fatigue. essentially, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Or a really interesting, uh, I, I, I mean, she has a, she has a lot of great uh, stats in that book, but one of the most interesting things to me is that I think men were either three or four times more likely to have an affair if they were dieting, like if, if they were calorie restricted, wow.
0: Until told that to CrossFitters uh, yeah, who are doing intermittent fasting.
1: So, yeah, so yeah. that shows you what, you know, like, how important your prefrontal cortex is. It yeah. completely changes your decision tree. You know, uh, Robert Sapolsky, um, um, you know, why zebras don't don't get cancer. Uh, leading cortisol researcher in the world, um, he calls the prefrontal cortex your simulator, and it's a great metaphor, right? Yeah. Um, it allows you to sit here and think about something that you've never done before and figure out if it's a good idea or not. I'm going Hey Josh, let's go jump off my roof into my pool. Um, it sounds like fun. And it sounds like, yeah. it sounds like fun until you see that my roof is on that side and the pool's like 50 feet away and you're probably not, you know, there's a chance you're not going to make it. And you go, that's probably not a good idea. You don't actually need to do it. You yeah. just look at it and go, I can simulate gravity and how far I can. no, uh, I'm not going to do that. Um, but you start interfering with the prefrontal cortex, which is which is why young men are so willing to take risk. Uh, they're so brazen with it because their prefrontal cortex isn't fully formed. Um, it's also why the military and even colleges can, you know, shape people's uh, behavior and thought for the rest of their lives with just like a. You know, four to five year window um, of when that prefrontal cortex is finalizing, and that just really kind of wires how you're going to make decisions until you really take the effort to wow.
0: Undo, this, undo that wire. This reminds me of the boot camp experience. My grandpa was a uh, brigadier general Marine Corps, and yeah. he always talked about that. I mean, even in his latest years of life, that was like as vivid for him as it was when he was eighty, yeah. as when he was twenty one. And that's that's actually the um, the example I use
1: all the time is Marines. Marines are fanatically. Marines, right? Um, Marine boot camp is 12 weeks long. You could go out to any VFW hall, go out to any parade, and find a guy who's in the Marine Corps for four years, and he's 78 years old right now, and he's in the Marine Corps from 18 to 22 years old. He still has his Marine ball cap on, still cuts his hair super short, still has a certain posture, still has a certain way of talking, still has a certain belief structure. You can call that brainwashing if you want, but... You know, it's it's really just you know selective conformity. It's like you know choosing your group, your tribe, and saying like I'm going to be part of that tribe. What what else is that powerful? Like, I mean, you tell me. Like, I I yeah. I find very few things in the world that's that that can shape somebody's life that much. I mean, you think about how many four year blocks have you had in your life where things were drastically different, and how much. How much of that has stuck with you? Not that much, but that, you know, that super intense period, I mean, 12 weeks, like that's not a, that's, I mean, even people that get injured and, you know, they're out of the Marine Corps less than a year later, they're still Marines for the rest of their life, you know? Um, And this is the process that we're ignoring when we're sleep depriving our kids, right? We're just... We're just testing on that and so saying, we don't really care. Like I got to get to work by nine. So I got to drop you off at school at seven 30 or we can't afford the bus system to get you to school or whatever the excuse is. But that is there, man,
0: man. This has been such an incredible conversation. And, um, I always ask guests about wellness. You have, uh, I consider it to be one of the most unique eclectic paths with the people you've trained. What is wellness to you now? In your life, you know, you're a dad, you serve people in your own unique way. How would you define wellness now? It's interesting. Uh, uh, and I'm not, I'm not plugging uh, my Austin business partner at all with
1: this, but, um, you know, her, her program is wealthy, wealthy. And, and our whole stick together is that wealth and health are the same thing. And, yeah. I mean, I would use wellness as a synonym for health, right? Like what, what does it mean to be truly healthy? And to me, to me, to be completely healthy, to be fully healthy is to have the energy and vitality and ability to do anything I want to do, right? Like I can't go climb Mount Everest tomorrow but I'm in good enough shape to where I'm in striking distance of that. And I could actually train and I could go do it. You know, I could go, I could say, I'm going to go enter a jujitsu tournament and I could do that. I could say, I want to go cycle across Europe and I could do that. I can say, I'm going to, you know, put my nose to the grindstone and crank on my business, you know, 18 hours a day for the next four months. And I can do that. Right. Um, I can, you know, be emotionally, intellectually, playfully, uh, engage with my kids because I'm healthy. Right. Yeah. Um, and what it really means is freedom, right? It's freedom to do what I really want to do with my life. Um, uh, not what other people think I should do, not, you know, not getting credentials, not getting metrics, not chasing numbers. What do I really want to do with my life? um, and those two things are the most important thing. You have to have enough wealth to be able to do what you want to do with your life, you know, or at least enough cash flow to be able to do what you want to do with your life. And you have to have enough health. Um, and that health is, you know, it's different for everybody. I mean, yeah, some people work at a computer and they just need to be cognitively sharp and they don't have an active life and they don't, they don't ever want to climb a mountain. They don't ever want to compete in anything. Who cares? Like, you know, stay alive, stay healthy, you know, don't, don't give yourself a disease and you know, optimize your cognitive performance behind the keyboard. And that's, you know, that's, that's wellness for that guy.
0: Thanks so much for what you're doing in this world, not just in wellness, but I feel like we touched on a bit in our conversation. You're using sleep as a way to help people be more conscious, I feel Mm -hmm. like. And that's really admirable, man. So I appreciate you having me at your house and on the show.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, my friend thank you for hanging out and growing with me on today's show remember to hit subscribe share this podcast with somebody you care about that you think gets to hear this message support the show by leaving a five-star review for the podcast right now simply by tapping on your show artwork on your iphone click that purple link that says review this podcast it helps the show reach more conscious and smart people like you and your voice will attract more world-class guests that want to come on the show so let them hear your voice For all the downloads, videos, links, and free resources mentioned on the episode, go to wellnessforce.com forward slash radio. And while you're at my house on the web, join us in the Wellness Force Community newsletter on that page and I'll send you four free guides around staying healthy with your eating, moving, and sleeping while you travel. Join a group of people like you over at the Wellness Force Community Facebook page. This is where we talk about the things that really matter. We share our wins, inspirations, struggles, and a lot more. So join us, tap on the show artwork on your phone, and hit that purple link that says join the Facebook group and I will welcome you at the door. Okay, now you get to go out into your world and create impact for the people that you care about. So until I see you again real soon, I'm wishing you love and wellness.